All right, welcome to an all-new episode of The National Pulse. I'm Raheem Kassam, editor-in-chief of thenationalpulse.com. It's chilly in Washington, D.C. Must be all that global warming. It's Thursday, April 22nd of April, the year of our Lord, 2021. A lot of noise out there at the moment. A lot of noise climate change and DC statehood and all this active vandalism that the political left is doing. Mayor, oh, don't get me started on Mayor Muriel Bowser. I was in a, I was in a car the other day, one of these private hire vehicles that is doing Uber now. And the guy said to me, he said, I think he was Pakistani of origin. He said, Mayor Bowser is a crook. She's a criminal. I don't know if uh, he minds me sharing this, but he said he'd spoken to former New York City Mayor Rudy Giuliani about this, having driven him before as well. And Mayor Giuliani said, when asked the question, how long would it take to clean up Washington, D.C.? And Giuliani responded, about 48 hours. And that hit me. I didn't disagree with it. You know, I look around the city every day, from the tent cities to the extortion that's going on to the uh, visa scams building in the wharf and, and I mean this is your nation's capital I know it's it's a remote place for a lot of people but you should care the culture of Washington DC becomes the culture of the country politically at least but in other ways too and when there is such stinking corruption at the heart of your government there can be nothing else nationwide because everything will drip down. Every policy, every earmark, every bit of pork, everything that, that DC does and disseminates, which is, to the chagrin of, of, of many anti-big government campaigners, conservatives and libertarians alike, everything. The government is involved in everything. And so, uh, you know, I, I perhaps I'm saying this because I am forced by the nature of my work to live in this godforsaken place. But I, I think it's important that you care about it too. I think that the, the signals that the left were trying to send by boarding up the Capitol and putting the army in front of it and barbed wire, razor wire fencing, I think all of that was, was, a, was a show, a force, a power play. And everything else you're seeing now is the same thing. The new climate change agenda, agenda we're going to change the everything of everything, right? Build back better. The British government now releasing a thing, I think yesterday, that said people are going to have to stop consuming so much meat and dairy. And of course, you know what the mechanism for that is going to be. It's going to be pricing people out of buying meat and dairy. You know, and this is to hit a climate change target, by the way. By a certain point, 2030 or whatever it is. But you know, what, you know who's going to be hurt the most by that? It's the people at the bottom. 
who aren't going to get meat and dairy because it's going to be $20, you know, for a, for a packet of minced beef and 10 bucks for a pint of milk. Taxes on taxes on taxes. And it's, maybe I'm being, you know, hyperbolic. Maybe it's not $10 for a pint of milk, but, but you know how this works. And then they will say, well, why? Why are the masses revolting? I had not, as you probably tell, had not intended to start this podcast today by talking about that. But as the music played and and Muriel Bowser came to mind, I lost it. (laughs) I just can't, I cannot stand that person. I think she is sick in the head and I think she wears it on her face. I think she is one of the single most corrupt individuals out there on planet earth i really mean that i think when you look around washington dc and you see the the spate of carjackings that's going on and the homeless crisis that's going on and the business crisis that's going on and the way people are forced to traverse this city now at great expense to experience what by the way i'm from london i know what a city looks like it may not look particularly good anymore but I know what a real city is supposed to look like. I grew up, I was born and raised in London. And cities themselves, we can get into whether or not, you know, they should be uh, hyper-populated in the way that they are and, and, and how much over-influence they have. Yes, you, you and I agree on that, dear listener. But Washington, D.C. doesn't even have any culture. You know, every, every spring, there is a, there is a, a, a what, is the, what is the plural for... Um, you know, basic basic bitches. Pardon my language. Um, that's the, I'm 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 appropriating their own phraseology here. I'm not calling anybody a basic bitch. Um, there is a what is it, a gaggle or a flock or a, or, or is a murder of basic etc. That goes down and takes the pictures at the, the tidal basin and oh you know the blossom the cherry blossom festival everything oh it's so pretty yeah that's that's the about the extent of the culture in this city oh yeah they build uh, you know the visa scams right down in the wharf they build the new stadium I think it's called the anthem or something maybe I'm getting it wrong uh, they build a new stadium down there and yeah you can have these concerts by you know predominantly it's predominantly um rap music concerts and things like that that are going on down there but there's a wider culture in washington dc it's not a city it's an industry town and the industry is corrupt and the representatives of the town are corrupt mayor bowser today amidst everything that's happening in this place all the 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 people who are struggling and suffering and can't make rent and can't fully open their businesses and uh, they're living in tents across the city which i don't think it's just the homeless living in those tents as you know but there are some there are lots in fact there's a tent there's a tent city in almost every green space that i've seen in washington dc there's by the state department there's by union station there's uh down by the 395 highway um there is gosh i'm forgetting all of them off the top of they're, they're everywhere okay and I'm sure that there are some, there are many homeless people sleeping there. I also think there are just just troublemakers in amongst that crowd. That's a topic for another day. But you have all of this taking place. And what is what is Bowser doing while all of that is happening? 
she's skinned a skinned a gorgeous double decker open top bus hashtag dc statehood and she's having somebody drive her down to the united states senate to demand dc statehood because the house the democrats in their bid for totalitarian power totalitarian control have passed a bill today which would give washington dc statehood washington dc by the way which was never intended to be a state but also which does not accept nor adhere to the united states constitution there are no there's no second amendment in washington dc there's no first amendment quite frankly in washington dc there is for one side there isn't for the other if you're on if you're on a different side you get you get the fbi knocking at your door were you thinking of rallying? Were you thinking of rallying at the Capitol? Were you thinking of being a shaman? Is that what you're doing? And she's in her bus, her her glorious, gorgeous, brand new skin bus that I'm sure I'm sure DC taxpayers had to pick up the tab for, right? Somewhere down the line, all the misappropriation that's taking place. By the way, I mean, yeah, I didn't realize I'm 10 minutes in there talking about Bowser in D.C. and you probably couldn't give a monkeys, but it is important that your capital somehow at least represents the rest of the country. And it just doesn't. It doesn't. I've watched London go that way as well. I mean, London, I mean, it's, it's hard with London because there are still pockets of beauty and, and vigor and life and and tradition and culture and england but the, most of london is just is i mean it could be any any city anywhere in the world now briam compliant glass buildings um it's a little little throwback to a term that i used to have to use when i live when i worked in if you could believe it or not public sector property procurement consultancy Yes, it was a, it was a job right out of university. It was a, it was a job. Um, final thoughts on this because it's it's important what the mayor of Washington D.C. is doing because she takes and takes and takes from the taxpayers and she you've got all these signs up all over the place that say D.C. Mayor Regeneration Project, uh, you know, fifty million dollars for this road, and then you look at the road. I mean, it's it's it it could be Mombasa, you know. No, really, it it could be Mombasa. It could be a a a former Soviet state straight after the end of the Cold War. It's potholed to high heaven. They they build, by the way, they build. You know, new sidewalks and all this stuff, but they don't line up. I can, uh, maybe I should take pictures for you and post them to my social media. If you, there are parts of Capitol Hill where they've rebuilt, you know, fifty million dollars or whatever it is they've spent, and the sidewalks don't line up. So that if you, and by the way, it's not funny if you're disabled or you're in a wheelchair or something. If you go off into the road, you have to do like a diagonal and sometimes a forty-five degree turn in the middle of the road to get back up onto the next pavement. It's built so badly, they don't care. I, I wouldn't even hazard a guess as to what kind of labor they're using to get this work done. But it's not good. And she spends all this money and she takes and takes and takes from the DC taxpayers. And then, with the other hand, 
though she doesn't give. She takes again from the Chinese Communist Party. That's the mayor of America's capital. Right, let's <laughs> let's get to the topics I wanted to cover today. I'm going to do a little, few little different things here today, and I'm 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 really grateful for you being here, listening to this, being part of this show, being part of the website, being part of the National Pulse, because I think, and I want you to own this, right? I I, I hope that you are pleased with, even maybe proud of, some of the reporting that you've seen us do for the last year. You know, the whistles that we have blown on the Transition Integrity Project and on lead stories. And now this story I'm going to talk to you about in just a second, about the journalists who took Chinese Communist Party paid trips in exchange for, quote, favorable coverage. There are very few news organizations, investigations, outfits doing this kind of work anymore. And I'm just so grateful for all of you, whether, whether you're a supporter in, in, in cash terms or not, whether you're just a listener, whether you can't afford to, you don't want to, whatever it is, I'm still grateful that you're here. And I want you to take that extra step because we will only win if you take that extra step and, far, and, and forward this on to somebody else and say, please listen to this. Please listen to this guy. He's going to explain to you what exactly is going on and he's got the receipts to prove it. Go on the website. The link will be in the description of the podcast on all your podcast platforms so you can share the link read the link uh, post it all to your social media profiles and that this isn't done this isn't the done thing the washington dc reporting set you know there's an agreement amongst them you know you leave me alone i'll leave you alone and we're not gonna come after each other and all the malfeasance that we do together right tough i'm not playing that game and if you want to come and see me about it, you know where to find me. These reporters and these organizations, are cr- it's criminal what they're doing. They are passing themselves off as fair arbiters of the news. And we all know they're not. But never before have we had a report, an investigation into who exactly, at what news outlets and when Are they betraying their countries and how? So that's what we're going to get into right now. And obviously, great credit to Natalie Winters for digging this information up. And I'm deeply concerned that we're watching links even disappear from from the Wayback Machine and the archive websites. Things are going dark, very dark, very quickly. Here is a list of reporters that we have found from a Chinese Communist Party newsletter published by the China United States Exchange Foundation, another of these organizations that we have blown the whistle on, QSEF, founded by the vice chairman of the highest ranking entity overseeing the Chinese Communist Party's United Front Department. The United Front Department aims to, quote, co-opt and neutralize sources of potential oppositions to the policies and authority on a global scale of the Chinese Communist Party. Quote, right, this is, this is from a U.S. government report, quote, the United Front strategy uses a range of methods to influence overseas Chinese communities, foreign governments, and other actors to take actions or adopt positions supportive of Beijing's preferred policies. 
Now, if you are a news reporter, if you are a news person, do you take a trip from these guys? And I will not hear that you don't know who they are because you are a reporter, so it is your job to find out. Do you then take a trip with these guys, knowing what you know about what the Chinese Communist Party is doing to their own people, to the people around the world? And the answer to that question is yes for a great many of these you know, quote-unquote news reporters, who we will be chasing up on. This is one of the things I really want to stress to you. These stories can't just die on the vine, okay? We don't just release this story and go, hey, isn't it great that we reported this and then move on to the next? Me and you, ladies and gentlemen, together, we are going to hammer this home into the minds of ordinary people who aren't political junkies like me and you, perhaps, because you're listening to this podcast. And while it is one of the biggest podcasts in the country, it's still a political podcast. Most people are not listening to those. So me and you, you and I, we have a, you, we have a, a common cause together, and that is to follow up. And we will be following up, demanding answers from the names I'm about to read from you. And one of my first questions to them is going to be, how dare you? Vox co-founder and New York Times columnist Ezra Klein. In fact, if you're sitting at home, you're sitting anywhere where you, you have the ability to take some notes down, take some notes down, okay? Or just go to the website afterwards if you don't. Take some notes down and find these people on social media and ask them questions. Ask them tough questions. Be as respectful as humanly possible, but ask them tough questions. How dare Ezra Recline take a trip from the Chinese Communist Party? How dare Vox co-founder Matthew Iglesias take a trip from the Chinese Communist Party? CNN senior political analyst and Atlantic senior editor Ronald Brownstein. New York Times reporter Bradford Plummer or Plumer, P L U M E R. The Associated Press's vice president and editor, Marjorie Miller. The Hill's editor at large, Steve Clemens. And Steve, we have a lot more to talk about than just this with you. Former NPR senior editor Marilyn Gwax, G-E-E-W-A-X. Former Newsweek and Wall Street Journal Marketplace editor Kathleen Deveni, D-E-V-E-N-Y. Former U.S. News and World Report correspondent Tom Omestad, O-M-E-S-T-A-D. Chicago Tribune columnist and editorial writer Steve Chapman. Former National Journal correspondent Bruce Stokes. Milwaukee Journal Sentinel Washington Bureau Chief Craig Gilbert and the weak columnist Shekha Dalmia, that's S-H-I-K-H-A-D-A-L-M-I-A. These are the names. 
And we have in the article the newsletters themselves. I can read from them them for you if you like. The foundation continued its visiting journalist program in the first half of 2010 by hosting two groups of prominent American journalists on tours of China to see firsthand its developments in various fields. One group focused on China's renewable energy projects and another on China's economic development. The program provided journalists a unique opportunity to see a diverse view of China's progress through visits to some of the most politically, economically, and cultural significant cities across China, including Beijing, Shanghai, Xi'an, Dalian, Yiwu, I can't pronounce the rest of them. Sorry, I don't speak Mandarin. But it goes on. I'm just trying not to butcher them. Trying to be respectful. Ronald Brownstein from The Atlantic, Kathleen Deveni from Newsweek, Craig Gilbert from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, and Bradford Plumer from The New Republic took part in the Renewable Energy Tour. The journalists visited a number of research centers and NGOs that promote clean energy. The the group also visited a number of leading wind and solar power facilities and met with energy sector regulators from the central and local governments. Journalists of the Economy Tour included Shika Delmia from Forbes and Reason Magazine, Marilyn G. Wax from National Public Radio, Ezra Klein from the Washington Post, Marjorie Miller from the Los Angeles Times, and Matthew Iglesias, a blogger from the Center for American Progress. Center for American Progress, run by John Podesta. The group met with experts from both the government and business sectors to discuss China's economic growth and its economic opportunities and challenges. Both groups took the opportunity to visit the Shanghai World Expo. At the end of the visit, the journalists met with Foundation Chairman Mr. C. H. Tung in Beijing. In May 2009, here's a separate one. In May 2009, the foundation introduced a program to provide selected members, selected members of the U.S. media with the opportunity to visit various parts of China to meet with Chinese business and political leaders to gain first-hand insights into China's economic and social development. Sorry for those of you listening to this on two times speed. Participants of the most recent media visit will include Steve Chapman of the Chicago Tribune, Steve Clemens of the Washington Notes, Tom Omistad of US News and World Report, and Bruce Stokes of the National Journal. Major cities covered in the tour include Beijing, Shanghai, Kunming, Lijiang, Wuxi, and Shenzhen. They also met with Chinese government officials and made visits to important institutions. In his article entitled China's Rocket to Modernity, Published in the Chicago Tribune following the visit, Steve Chapman expressed amazement at the quick pace of China's economic transformation in the last 30 years. He said, quote, In the ensuing three decades, the Chinese economy has tripled in size, then tripled again. In less than 30 years, China's economic miracle has raised half a billion people, one out of every 10 on the planet, out of poverty. Nothing in human history comes close to that achievement, end quote. Ladies and gentlemen, this isn't just some reporters accepting accepting some junkets. This is reporters at major corporate news outlets who bounce around. By the way, you probably heard the different names of the outlets sometimes conflicting with what we'd reported they, they worked at. It's because they've worked at both. And we just we just chose the most recent and most relevant. But they've, they bounce around all these different media outlets. And what are they doing in the meantime? They are taking trips 
from the Chinese Communist Party. Think about it. You work at you work at the Washington Post or you work at the Chicago Tribune. It's not like those organizations can't afford to send you out there on their own dime so that there isn't a conflict of interest, right? And if you don't get the access that you're trying to get, why? The question you should be asking and reporting on is why? If you go out there on your own dime to do reporting, you can't actually report, but you can only do it when you're taking a junket from the Chinese Communist Party and it's not just a trip. It's not just a jolly. You see in real time them bragging about what happens after they come back. That's just one of the examples there. Oh, we have some more for you. This is, you know, people used to get fired for this in media. They did. I, in my lifetime. And now it's, 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 it's de rigueur, it's normal. Uh, Shika Delmia. Let's take her as an example. This is one of the people who worked at Forbes and Reason Magazine at the time. Um, she's a columnist at The Week. She went on the economy tour, right? And after that tour, published a blog or an op-ed for Reason Magazine, you know, this hyper-libertarian website, and, and the title is, China bashing is for losers. China bashing has become a bipartisan sport this election season, but if the bashers won't heed the economic case for not knocking down America's second largest trading partner, they ought to consider the political one. Even if they get into the office by peddling false economic theories in order to stay there, they will have to produce the right results. This protectionism never has and never will deliver false manifestly false historically false and has been proved false since shikadalmia but of course forbes and reason magazine what do you care she's taking a trip from the chinese communist party she can write whatever she wants about the chinese communist party and and peddle their fantasies right right of course i'm right brad plumer writes in his i'm doing this all in real time by the way i i was asked last night how much prep i do for these things the answer is very little i i come here and i give it to you raw i don't have time to sit down and make a fancy show this is this is all raw this is all real there are no notes in front of me not a single one i just have my laptop and a microphone it's the name of my next album <laughs> um vox September 25th, 2015, after Brad Plumer's trip. Remember, Brad worked at, where was he? Let me find it here. He was at the New York Times, and then he writes this thing for Vox a couple of years later, once again, bouncing around. They all look after themselves. No problems there. China's ambitious plan to limit carbon emissions explained. Here in Washington, D.C., you'll often hear conservatives argue that there's little point in the United States acting on global warming because China is the world's largest polluter and will never do anything to rein in its carbon emissions. But that line's looking increasingly silly. On Friday, Chinese President Xi Jinping announced that his country would enact a blah, 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 blah. The rest of the article, you know, just a... Just a 
fawning, fawning endorsement of Xi Jinping and the Chinese Communist Party. So let's go on. Oh, you thought that was it. No, it's not it. And this list ain't it either. We're coming for all of you. Bruce Stokes from the National Journal. Let's let's open Bruce Stokes' uh, Twitter feed here. Yes, yes, yes. Bruce Stokes tweeted on September 9th, 2020, decoupling the US from China would backfire. That's a column by David Ignatius, which ran, of course, in the Washington Post, the same Washington Post that sent one of their reporters on one of these trips. That was Ezra Klein and Ezra Klein... Now, Vox went on to Vox. I'm pulling up his Twitter feed here because he's said some fairly interesting things too. Ezra Klein, back at the New York Times now, tweets, I keep hearing that China bought us some real time and our government wasted it doing nothing and downplaying the threat. He's talking about COVID-19. This tweet was sent May, uh, sorry, March 9th, 2020. His fellow Vox co-founder also tweeted about wanting to give party flunkies notes on how to craft better propaganda and that Moody's, SNP and the People's Bank of China should run the government. That would be the US government. It's extraordinary. And I said that that wasn't it for Steve Clemens, right? So Steve Clemens, I believe, was at the Atlantic before. Again, you know, it's all a big circle of people moving around. Same outlets, same same people funding all this stuff, by the way. Same corporate backers, same donors. I'm going to load this up right now. The great Mike McCormick sent me this because he was actually on the trip. It's the 2013 Biden Asia trip. And Clemens, I believe, was the pool reporter. For those who don't know what a pool reporter is, it's it's basically, instead of all the journalists having to attend a particular event, the pool reporter will produce information that can be used by all the other reporters who either couldn't get in the room, it was too logistically unfeasible to put them all there, or whatever, right? There's many different reasons why pool reporting occurs. Um, but predominantly, predominantly logistical and whatever. And so the pool reporter will act on behalf of the rest of the press pool. And is, and is expected to be as, as neutral an arbiter as possible because you're serving a pool report to, you know, left journalists, right journalists. Everyone uses pool reports. Or pulls from them. And relies on them for uh, accurate information. So Clemens is on that trip. And... Uh, let me just pull this up from Mike McCormick here, what he sent me. Biden singles Clemens out during this trip in 2013. Says, hey, that's a really important guy. And I believe other reporters around were mortified to hear this fawning praise from a politician to a reporter. Is, 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 the, is, is how I've been described this, this, this incident. 
And then Biden, I think, suggested to the CCP people that they speak with Clemens as a special case. Now, travel with me back just a few months prior to that. The Atlantic Magazine, Steve Clemens byline, January the 2nd, 2012. The headline, Biden gets China. And it's 700 words, 600 words on just how awesome it is that Joe Biden's going to be the one with a purview over China. And of course, we, we know what he did with it. We know what his son did with it. And we know what he's doing with it now. And that's not it. That's not it. That's not where it ends. But I am uh, pressed for time this afternoon, and I want to get this podcast out to as many of you as possible so that you can then pass it on as well. Before I do that, I want to thank all of our members. I did a live, I did a little impromptu live chat with our members in the Discord channel, our private Discord chat channel last night. I think we went about an hour. I shared I shared a lot of gossip. <laughs> I did. I spilt some tea, as they say over here. Um, and, and, and I took questions. You know, people always want more detail, and I think that's great. And I want to thank everybody, because if you join up, you get all those access, and, and you get a signed copy of my book and all of that. And you know, Most people are like, yeah, whatever. We just want to help you know, the site and help real news, and I love that. Um, and so now I want to do a, a big new push. So I want you to please become a part of it. And the other thing, just before I let you go, is um, I'm just going to check that I'm allowed to do this. Um, one of our members is a very talented musician and recently sent me a lot of his vinyls and CDs and has played with some of the most incredible musicians in the world. So I, I got um, permission from Stephen Dale Petit to play one of his songs that I really liked off, off, off one of his albums for you. So I'm actually going to play you out with that instead of our usual ending music today and let it, let it roll for you, and I hope you enjoy it. And I'm really grateful for 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 Stephen to for letting me play it. And if you like it, go and buy his albums, and and they're all on all the Spotify's and iTunes and all of that stuff as well. Or buy them on the vinyl um, because I, I I love his artwork and everything. It's super cool. And I don't actually have a record player, which I'm shopping for one right now. Well, not right now. I'm doing a podcast right now, <laughs> but I'm shopping around for one. And it's just so cool. It's super cool to have such an amazing, amazing musician, uh, a member of the National Pulse and sending me stuff. So thank you, Stephen. And I hope everybody enjoys the music at the end of this uh, podcast. But before I let you go, uh, I also want to thank all of our new members and memberships are flooding in at the moment. Um, and I'm so I'm going to, as I often do, read you some of the um, some of the names of the people that have uh, have joined up in recent uh, in recent days. There's P. A. Uh, Purcell. There is Leah. There is Laura. There is Gary, Jackie, Nathan, Devon, Pamela, Brian, Robert, Joanna, Denise, Brent, E. J. John, 
Stephen, Brian, Jessica, Mary, Christina. I'm going to start playing this music here as well. Paul, Mijana, Brenda, Robin, Gabe, Raymond, Jenny, Kathleen, Rosalie, Kevin, Jean, Connie, Peter, Richard, Marilyn, Stephen, Jane, Sarah, Kenneth, Sheila, Courtney, Francie, Kristen, David, Conrad, Steve, Marissa, Ari, William, Josh, Susanna, Scott, Lincoln, Beth, Jeffrey, Gerald, Nancy, David, and a whole lot more. If you want to come and be a part of this massively growing community, I mean thousands of people now, all you need to do is go to fundrealnews.com. And I want to leave you with this great, great, great song which I love from Stephen Dale Petit. Go out and get his albums. And thank you, Stephen, once again. Have a great day, guys.
That's 10 Year Blues by Stephen Dale Petit. Never thought I'd actually be a, sound like a radio DJ, but that was just such an amazing song. I'm so grateful for Stephen for sharing that with us and allowing me to play it here on this podcast and for being a member over at the National Pulse. Ladies and gentlemen, have a great day, and I'll see you again mm, probably Monday. Cheers. <laughs>